You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Let's get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we'll be looking at a very important text from verses 25 to 34. And just as we do that, I want to remind you... um, for members of Hope Bible Church, we have our AGM this evening at 6.30. If you are a member, you have received an email, and we asked you would RSVP that. Again, if you are a member, you received an email, and we'd love to know that you are planning to attend. So Matthew 6.25. Now, as we turn to this section of Scripture, we come to one of the most important commands in the entire New Testament, and therefore the Bible as well. This is a beautiful way to conclude chapter 6, and it's an absolutely essential reality for the Christian life. What Jesus does today, he categorically commands first things first. He's like, enough with the secondary, enough with the things that don't matter. He's like, here's where you start. Here's where you start. It's so interesting to me, because often in life, what we do, again, as professing believers, we say, God, what's your will for my life? God, what's your will for my life? Listen, listen, this is today. This is, 100%, this is God's will for your life. Without a shadow of a doubt. Often we ask questions like this too. We say, Lord, what should I do? What should I do in life? Do this today. Right here in Matthew chapter 6, especially verse 33. Do this today. We also ask questions like this to God. God, where should I go? And God's like, go here. Right here today in verse 33, I mean, we make life sometimes so complicated and God's will so complicated. Today gets simplified down. If you do this, you will be blessed 100% guaranteed. The whole emphasis here of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then God says, I will take care of the rest. So let's read our passage here together, and let's see what the Lord has in store for us from this brilliant text here today again. So Matthew 6 Uh, Verse 25, and we'll read down to verse 34. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about what you will eat or drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Underline this next part of verse 26. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Isn't that a great question? When's the last time anxiety actually helped us? When's the last time anxiety actually added uh, to our lifespan? The answer is never. That's a good question, Jesus. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And here's the point. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, underline this, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That's for all of us here today. Oh, us of little faith. Notice the result of this. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or drink or wear? For the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers, those who do not belong to God or Jesus Christ, they seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you, child, need them all. And it all leads to this, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Notice, here's the promise. And all these things will be added to you. 
Verse 34, therefore, therefore, because of this truth, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Well said, Jesus. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So obviously this passage, if you've been tracking with us at all, this is found within the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, is the greatest sermon ever given. It is preached by the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Uh, Specifically, verse 33 contains the primary subject of the sermon, which is the kingdom of God. And it involves the strongest imperative relating to the most important subject of the kingdom of God, the imperative of seek first. Okay, so arguably then, as we approach verse 33, here's what we have. We have the greatest command, one of the greatest commands regarding one of the greatest themes, all within the greatest sermon ever given, preached by the greatest person who ever lived. So if I'm listening intensely right now, I'm like, maybe I should take notes today. Like, maybe this is pretty important that you have one of the greatest themes ever presented the kingdom of God within the greatest sermon ever given, the greatest person who ever lived with the greatest imperative pertaining to that subject. Again, pretty important stuff. I think wisdom says you might want to stay awake for this one. You might want to, again, pay attention and hear what he has to say because... What follows is very, very critical. So we're keeping it simple today. We only have one main point. We'll have a few subpoints that come off of that. But our one main point is this. Number one, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We must seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the context of our passage is dealing with the anxiety of the temporal. So we learn from our text today that obviously anxiety was very real in the first century. And I'm so glad we don't struggle with that now, eh? So glad. Oh, wait, oh, wait, we do a lot. So anxiety was a very real issue in the first century, and anxiety of the temporal is a very real issue in the 21st century as well. Again, by way of context, let's let's look at a few verses here. Look at Matthew 6, verse 25. We've already read this, but look at verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Look at verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Look down now at verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Some of us are getting anxious over the word anxious being said so much. But again, what do we notice about this? Right? Whenever one word shows up that much in a passage of Scripture, this is what the Holy Spirit is seeking to convey to our hearts and to our lives. Jesus, notice, is anticipating one of the great struggle of our lives. I, I need us to see that. Jesus is significantly anticipating with repetition again, over and over again, one of the great struggles of the human life, which is anxiety over temporal things. Three times Jesus commands, do not be anxious. Commands it. Do not be anxious. That's clear. Two other times he appeals to the futility of anxiety. And now notice, again, contextually, we're in the power from God's word as we see the context. Now you come to verse 33. Look at verse 33. He says, but, but. So in contrast to those who are so anxious of temporal things, but here comes, listen, this this is so key. Here comes the antidote to anxiety. 
Here comes the pathway to peace. Here comes the purpose and promise of blessing in life. Now, I need to make sure we pause and we pick up what the Holy Spirit is putting down. For the amount of people, all of us on some level, that struggle with anxiety over temporal issues and struggle with stress and worry in our lives, Jesus is literally saying right now, this, what I present to you, is the antidote to anxiety within your life over these things. That's a massive deal. And Jesus tells the truth. Jesus is the game changer. Jesus is the Lord of salvation and the Lord of life. So whatever comes next is hugely, hugely important for those who believe Jesus again by faith. So, so what does he say? Well, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is the antidote to anxiety over earthly things, and that is the promise and the pathway to peace with God and in this life. Let's break this first down now, specifically verse 33. Let's break it down with some subpoints. Uh, first subpoint is this Seek first, then, means it's my number one priority. When the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God, it's speaking to our priority and his righteousness. I love when we stop sometimes to ask ourselves some really good questions. Let's just ask ourselves this. What is the number one priority of your life? Take some time. Take some time. Holy Spirit, speak. I mean, people around us might be able to answer this even better than we could because they see us. They can answer honestly. But let's just take a moment right now. What is the number one priority of your life? I'm not asking what you want it to be or what the right Christian answer is, but what is it really today? What is the number one priority of our lives? And just, it's so good to be honest with ourselves as we've done this now for several weeks and we do it again today. I was thinking about priorities within our lives and I, was, I wrote down a bunch of words that start with F, because I just like to alliterate, it's just kind of what I do here, but different kind of uh, key priorities in our lives to apply it to our lives. The first word I wrote down is, starting with F, is this, family. For a lot of people, family is the number one priority of their lives. You're like, Robbie, family's good. Yes, it is. Family's a blessing, but not more important than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ actually says in Luke's gospel, he says, anyone who does not hate father, brother, mother, sister is not worthy to be counted my disciple. When he says that contextually in the Jewish language, when he says you do not hate your mother, he's not literally saying hate, but if you do not love less, if you do not love your family less than him and Jesus Christ and his kingdom, then we can't truly follow Christ because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is absolutely first. He wants to bless our family. He wants to move within our family, absolutely. But he's the one who does it. That's why he's first. I wrote down this next word starting with F, finances. I mean, we've been here for two weeks or more. Jesus is just in Nicola verse 24. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. But many, many people, finances is the most important priority of their lives. And because they love finances, therefore the kingdom of God gets shoved to the side. I wrote down this word, fashion. Fashion. Some of you are like, really? You're like, fashion? Hey, there, there are people in this room right now. The appearance and the way we look, and specifically our clothing. Have you ever been to a mall recently? Oh my goodness, talk about priority. Talk about temple worship. Talk about people putting that at the top. Absolutely it's true. 
For some of us in running people's society, fashion is the number one priority. The Pharisees loved how they appeared. Interesting, the Pharisees looked at Jesus and they said, Teacher, we know you're not swayed by appearances. Interesting. Family, friends, fashion, I wrote down fun, fun. Fun's not bad, but it is if it becomes the number one item in life. Pleasure, leisure, entertainment, ease, comfort. For many, many people, this is all we live for. We are living for a place of fun, make me feel good, make me laugh, let me be in a place where I can just rest, whatever it is. And the world paints that picture as everything we're living for that can never be more important than the kingdom of God. Next word I wrote down, number five, was Ferrari. You're like, yeah, I wish. It's the car starts with F. So, but again, for many of us here, or for some of us here, whether it's a Ferrari or something else, whether it's a possession, an item, something we love or long for, um, we seek to protect that possession more than the kingdom of God. We have more affection for that possession than the kingdom of God. We put more stress on, the, on that possession more than the kingdom of God. We just spend more money on that possession than the kingdom of God, and that's a problem. That's a problem. It's revealing the priorities within, within our lives. Uh, next word I wrote down was fame. Fame. Under that, you could put Facebook. TikTok doesn't start with an F, so we'll just kind of leave it over there or whatever. But again, how many people, our world is just the, the, the priority of my existence is to get as much followership and fame as I possibly can. I mean, that's, it's just, it's, it's so pervasive throughout society. People seeking fame, it's celebrities built on it. It's just, if I can just build up again this platform and have fame, then that'll be the only thing that I really need. Of course, it never really works out that way. And the last word that I wrote down was physique. That's a phonetic F. And for a lot of people here, how I look, physical appearance, body image, whatever it is, again, our world obsessed with diets, obsessed with working out, obsessed with whatever. And it really, I mean, you see that, and that becomes the number one priority of their lives. And some of these things aren't all bad. Some of them are, but some of these are. But when they become the most important priority, they come into idolatry, and that's when the kingdom of God and his righteousness again loses its place rightly within our lives. So notice here in verse 32, right? So Jesus says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now when Jesus says Gentiles, he's comparing it to followers of Christ, to true believers in Jesus Christ. He's speaking of those who don't believe in God, don't follow Christ, don't follow the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He's like, the Gentiles without Christ, they seek after such things. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Unbelievers don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ, don't believe in the kingdom. They seek after the temporal. How can you blame them? They are living for the things of the world. It is their passion. It is their pursuit. How can they know better? Gentiles are motivated by the physical. But followers of Christ are to be motivated by the spiritual. I mean, fundamentally, citizens of the kingdom follow the king. Fundamentally, citizens of the kingdom, again, desire the things of the king in his kingdom. So followers of Christ, we're not motivated by the spiritual or by the physical. We're motivated by the spiritual. Again, is it right to expect an unbeliever to act like a believer? No. That requires the Holy Spirit. They're not born again. They're not regenerated. They're not new creations. How can we expect an unbeliever? By the way, parents, just a little side note here. 
Parents, be careful that you don't expect your unregenerate, unbelieving child to act like this glorious Christian follower. How can he or she do that without the Holy Spirit of God? You pray for them, you love them, you teach morality, yes. But at the end of the day, it requires the Holy Spirit to cause them to truly be born again. Jesus says the Gentiles seek after all these things. But what he's implying here, though, is that Christ's followers, listen, must be different. Must be different. We're citizens of the kingdom, belonging to the king, loving the king, saved by the king, transformed by the king. We must follow the king. Therefore, we're different. We don't seek the things of the world. We don't seek the things that are treasures on earth. Because we have been bought with a price. We have been set apart for the kingdom of heaven. Again, I think in, if you look at the example he gives in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you, child of God, are you followers of Christ, are you citizen of the kingdom, not more value than they? See, that's powerful. That's beautiful. Uh, a friend of mine, he um, told me this a number of years ago. I've never forgotten it. It encouraged me so much. I give it to you today too. He says, whenever I see a flock of birds... I think of Matthew 6, verse 26. And when he sees that, and by the way, you'll see flock of birds now a lot. And it's so encouraging. I'm driving the car, sitting in my office, walking the street, whatever it might be, and you see a flock of birds, and it reminds me basically Jesus saying, are you not more valuable than they? I've got you, son. I will take care of you. I love you. I provide for the birds. They don't store up. I will take care of you as well. Jesus is saying, believers know this. Genuine believers of Jesus Christ, they take this to heart and they live it out. When Jesus commands but seek first here, he means what? Our supreme choice, our greatest pursuit. It's like we learn where something is, right? You see where something is and then you go after it. it speaks of intensity or zeal or determination. Um, think of an athlete pursuing a prize. Think of the effort and the discipline and the desire for that prize. Think of a young man pursuing his future wife. That's intense. There's a lot of zeal there, determination. Think of a farmer going after the harvest, so desperately needed, and the intensity and discipline going after that. That's what that means, seek first. Seek first, first place, most important priority within our lives. Again, listen, this is so key, right? Because what are our priorities? Now make sure we understand this. Simply put, the priorities of our lives determine the path of our lives. This is what we have to admit to ourselves. You are here at church today. You have decided, almost all of us, you've decided to make this a priority. That's why you're here. Others are not here today because it's not a priority. Uh, many of us this week, we woke up in the morning and we sought Jesus Christ through word and prayer because he was our priority. Some of us did not do that because he is not our priority. The way we spend our free time, if we're using our giftedness for the kingdom in Jesus Christ, some of us are doing that because he is the priority. His kingdom is the priority. Others of us are not doing that because at the end of the day, he simply is not. His kingdom is not our priority. Again, I'll say it again. Our priorities determine the path of our lives. So it's very, very important to be honest about what we prioritize and what is most important to us. I think a helpful illustration that I've heard in the past, and very helpful, uh, given by Stephen Cole, tells a story, and this is taken from Stephen Covey actually too, it's this story of a 
time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a large wide mouth jar and filled it with fist sized rocks. When he couldn't put any more in, he asked, Is this jar full? The class responded, Yes. And he said, Really? Then he pulled out a bucket of gravel. And he poured it in, shaking it down through the cracks. Then he asked, is the jar full? The students were on to him now. They said, no. He said, good. He dumped in a bucket of sand. Once more, he asked, is the jar full? No, they all shouted. Again, he said, good. He poured in a pitcher of water until the jar was full to the brim. And then he asked, what is the point of the illustration? One student ventured, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard, you can always fit more in. The speaker said, no. That is not the point. The point is this, and it's good. The point is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Now that is serious wisdom we can apply to Matthew 6, 33 today. What sand and gravel is in our lives, which may not be bad, some of it might be, but some of it may not be, What is the sand and gravel in our lives that is preventing the rock of the kingdom of God to get in in the first place? I'll ask again. What is the sand and gravel in our lives that is preventing the largest rock of the kingdom of God to get into our lives in the first place? See, this is, this is likely one of the key points of wisdom that separates those that are mature in Christ, growing in Christ, fired up for Christ, affectionate for Christ, finding God's blessing in their lives for Jesus Christ compared to those who are apathetic, lethargic, complacent, and lukewarm. It's just as simple as this. Jesus Christ and his kingdom is not a priority. And because he's not a priority, they don't receive the blessing from God. It's as simple as that. That's why seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as our greatest priority. And then we find the blessing of God begins to flood our lives. Life is not easier. Life actually often becomes harder. But it is absolutely blessed by the Lord with his presence and peace and the fruit of his spirit in our lives. Because we will never ever lose out with the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God means it's our number one priority. The second subpoint is this. Kingdom of God means it's our number one passion. So verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God now. Now, when we speak of the kingdom of God, what do we mean? Here's what Jesus means. John MacArthur is very helpful here. Okay, To seek first his kingdom is to seek the rule of God, the will of God, And his authority, the authority of God. We go to the next slide here then. When I seek first his kingdom, right? It's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about my will. And certainly not about my authority. I submit to his rule. My ambition is God's will. And I adore and worship the Lord under his kingship, his authority, and his kingdom. When I seek first his kingdom, I say this to myself often and out loud. It's, it's just a helpful theological reality for me, especially when life is confusing, whatever's going on. I said, God, your will is the best will, therefore I want your will. I remind, I don't know what's best for me. I think I do sometimes, I don't. God's ways are not my ways. And I say out loud to myself and to God, God, you know, you're perfect in wisdom. Your will is the best will for my life. Therefore, whatever your will is, I want. Because that's best for me. 
may not be the easiest, might involve pain and hardship, might involve some different difficulties, but at the end, it's best because you never make a mistake. Those who seek God's kingdom submit to his rule, our ambition is his will, and we adore him because he is the sovereign, true, awesome, and holy God. Becomes our number one passion. I want to make something really clear here today too. To seek first the kingdom of God. Please understand this. This is very, very important to you. To seek first the kingdom of God is not how we become Christians. Listen, listen. It's proving that we are Christians. Make sure you see the distinction. To seek first the kingdom of God. But to seek first the kingdom of God, then I'll become a Christian. No, no, no. If you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, born again, saved by grace through faith, new creation, a citizen of the kingdom, you seek his kingdom. To seek first his kingdom proves we belong to him. It is the proof of our followership. I mean, think of it in this way in the context of Matthew 6 and a lot of the talk on treasures on earth and money and stuff, right? If we know we're citizens of, king, of, of, of the kingdom of God, why would we seek the world if we know it's empty in the end? Why would we store up treasures on earth if we know they won't last? If we're truly citizens of the kingdom, why would we build bigger barns to store our stuff if God will pronounce us as foolish at the end because we've done so? See, that doesn't make any sense. If we're truly followers of the kingdom of God, to put it bluntly, and we go ahead and pursue the world, that just involves spiritual idiocy. That is absolute foolishness. Jesus says, go here, we go an entirely different direction, and we're like, well, that's completely inconsistent. I believe this, but I do this. And it's like, no, 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 seek first the kingdom of God. And those who truly, no, 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 listen, listen, there's, there, there's some bad days and bad seasons. I want to make sure, lots of grace, we understand that. We have moments we get distracted. This is another weekend, though, where God's like, come back in, child. Come now, refocus, repent of the sin and the worldliness, now come back in and receive the blessing of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Again, I mean, Matthew 6, verse 24, look at that. Look at the end, end there. You cannot serve God in money. He's so good. You cannot serve God in money. Which one is it? Which one is it? Now, the kingdom theme has been something that's been a lot to me over many, many years. It's absolutely beautiful and profound. I encourage you to do a study of the kingdom of God throughout Scripture and the Gospels and the New Testament. Here are some verses that help pop now the theme of God's kingdom and the reality of what it means to seek first the kingdom. These are all by Jesus. Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why does Jesus focus on wealth? Because wealth and the love of wealth, the love of money, is one of the single greatest blinding factors to truly seeing the kingdom of God. That's why. It's not impossible for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. It's just a lot harder. Because money blinds. The love of money blinds and distracts and distorts and deceives. The love of money does that. So we must be intimately aware of such things as we seek to be genuine citizens of the kingdom. Let's go to the next slide now. Mark 9, Jesus says this. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Wow, not my words, Jesus. This is the context of lust. 
Look what Jesus is saying here. See, what, 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 what the world does, pornography and, again, lustful, evil habits, they, they, they are leading so many people down the pathway of destruction and hell. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is so important and calls for such radical behavior that if I truly want to enter the kingdom of heaven, whatever it takes, smash a computer, triple down on accountability, whatever it takes to get rid of, in this context, the sin of lust to destroy your heart and soul and family to make sure you enter the kingdom of God with a genuine approach and following Jesus Christ. Such a massive deal. This is what the kingdom of God entails. It's what it sobers us with such clarity. I'm willing to do anything by God's grace and help and the power of the Holy Spirit that I will pursue his kingdom and not let the world around me ruin my life forever. Let's go to the next slide now. Luke 9. The kingdom of God requires focus and attention. Jesus says no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This isn't God as one compartment of 12 in my life. We have a picture in our boardroom here at the church where the elders meet weekly and our staff do too and there's a picture of a plower holding onto a plow with two horse in front and it's a picture to remind us of this verse. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit. It's not like I started, now I stopped. No, I've decided to follow Jesus, I'm not turning back. The kingdom of God requires focus and attention. It's hard, it's difficult. The work involved but the strength of God, the grace of God, today's a big day for that. And then this last verse here, from John 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, what, what does that mean, born again? Everyone is born once physically. In order to be truly saved, you must be born again spiritually. The Holy Spirit must come and regenerate us giving us eyes of faith to receive by grace through faith the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. That's why like every baptism testimony in some form, at least so many of them, um, I had a belief in God, but I did not truly know him. Uh, my life wasn't impacted by him. Then something happened. Then difficulty came in. Then I saw Jesus Christ truly. Then someone shared the true gospel with me. Then I saw the truth. And all of a sudden my eyes were opened. I saw Jesus Christ. He saved me. He set me free. He made me to become born again. I was a new creation. And from that moment, here's the fruit from my life. I am not who I used to be. I was blind. Now I can see. I was lost. Now I'm found. Again, I was dead. Now I'm alive because I have been born again. I now see truly the kingdom of God and my life has been forever changed. That's the impact of those who are truly saved through Jesus Christ, not by works, but by grace through faith. They're born again and now they see the kingdom of God. And now they know why they live and who they live for. So seek first the kingdom, number one priority, number one passion. And then thirdly this, his righteousness means my number one pursuit. My number one pursuit. Again, verse 33, take a look. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So this, this phrase here often gets missed. Seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. So good. But it doesn't stop there. And his righteousness. What does that mean, his righteousness? It's not super complicated means holiness. It means character. It means sanctification. Uh, for those new to church, sanctification is just a big word that means growing more like Jesus. So here's a profound statement. Ready? you got to concentrate so you pick it up. 
profound statement. It's this. The more we are like Christ, ready, ready, ready? Then the more we are like Christ. Bam, it's good, eh? It's deep, it's heavy, it's heavy. No, but stay with me here. Think, 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 ready? As we become like Christ, we think like Christ, we speak like Christ, we act like Christ, we love like Christ, we desire like Christ, we give like Christ, we seek first his kingdom as Christ would have us do. You see, so you're like, you can't separate these things. Holiness is his kingdom. His true kingdom is his holiness. So the more holy we are, the closer we are to God. The closer we are to God, the less we live for the world and the more we live for his kingdom. So in other words, it's theologically impossible to seek his righteousness and not seek his kingdom. The more we are transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we're automatically then pursuing his kingdom. And the blessing that comes as a result, we are to hunger. I mean, several months ago now, but when this whole series began and back in September in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Yes, thank you to the gentleman over there. So good, okay? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So again, I want you to see what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, okay? If you and I hunger and thirst for righteousness, him, holiness, transformation of godliness from him in our lives, the guarantee is satisfaction, blessing. Blessed are those, he says, happy, joy, fulfilled, filled with purpose. Happiness is what blessed means there. Listen, listen, sin always equals misery. Some of us are here in the room right now or in Orangeville watching an overflow. Right now, sin is ruining our lives. Many of us right now, we are tempted with serious aspects of sin. And make sure you know that as we engage in that sin, it, sin always promises blessing. Sin promises joy. Sin promises purpose. Sin promises a moment of pleasure. Sin promises we're going to win. In the end, it never, ever delivers on them one time ever. In the end, we lose every single time because sin stinks. It never, ever wins. Righteousness in Jesus Christ always wins. So again, this is an important moment of wisdom. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We seek the righteousness of God and we are guaranteed, not the easy life. I keep saying that, man. It won't be easier. Life will get harder. It'll get better. It'll get better. You and I have to understand picking up what the Holy Spirit is putting down right now, when we make movements towards the righteousness of God and more of Jesus Christ in our lives, absolutely guarantees that we will know his blessing in one way or another and his satisfaction in our lives. So this is, this is a very, very important moment right now. Because if you're listening to what's being said and what Jesus is saying through the word right now, Jesus says, I promise to bless you as you pursue my righteousness. I promise misery as you pursue sin. And I think all of us intellectually right now, we can agree. We're like, I understand, I get it. And then we leave this place and nothing changes. <laughs> right? Like that's what needs to happen. We hear it, we do nothing about it. Well, then that's on us. We're dumb. So I'm gonna say, I don't care. Nothing I can do about that. It's between you and the Lord. But for those who do care, life's about to change. And life's about to know the peace and the blessing and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of what only the Lord 
can give. You know, and just before we move on from this last thing, Paul Tripp heard him say this week, and um, he said, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just paraphrase. The address of our lives is proven in the little moments of our lives. Our individual little decisions on a moment-by-moment basis is where we actually live. It's who we actually are. So his point was, if Jesus doesn't rule us in the little moments of life, he doesn't rule us at all. Right? Like we can come to church right now and we can present, yeah, kingdom citizen, following Christ, I came to church. But then we leave here and our talk, our speech is not of the Lord. Our giving is not of the Lord. Our conversations with others is not of the Lord. And our you know, affections are not of the Lord. And just day-to-day stuff we're doing, whatever, we're going around, then obviously this doesn't mean a lot. Because it's in the little moments of life we prove who actually rules our lives. So that's why seek versus kingdom as righteousness is lived out on a moment-by-moment basis where we understand, Jesus, it's you, your rule, your will. We submit to that because then how I talk, how I eat, like literally how I eat is a reflection of who I serve. Fascinating. Really helpful to me to hear that. I'm thankful for that insight. So if God doesn't rule me in the small moments, he doesn't rule me at all. And that's where the righteousness piece becomes so important. Seek first the kingdom, priority, passion, pursuit. And then fourthly, how much you want to think the fourth one starts with a P. You're right. All these things will be added means it's a number one promise. It's my number one promise. Look at the end of verse 33 again. I try so hard for us to see what God is saying and to take him at his word. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, here we go. Ready, ready. And all these things will be added to you. Loved ones, look, look, okay? Look. Jesus just made a promise. Do we believe that Jesus is good on his promises? Do we believe he means what he says? So let's just, again, let's just make it as clear as we can. So if we seek first his kingdom and we make him the priority and his righteousness, then Jesus just promised, he says, I will take care of the details. I promise you, I will take care of the details. Now, you're reading the same Bible I am. I'm just showing you exactly what Jesus Christ is saying and now promising. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and I got your back. Seek first my kingdom and righteousness and I got your back. I mean, Jesus today, he's like, bro, 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 you seek my kingdom, I got you. I got your back. I mean, Jesus probably doesn't say bro. But God would say, child, child, you seek my kingdom, I got your back. Do we believe that? It's really a question, isn't it? Again, part of what God has challenged me with in recent years and and I'm trying to apply, every time I seem to apply it, I just sense the Lord and his presence in it. I believe God wants us more and more and more to open his words, to read his promises, and hold him to his word. Reverently, with humility and brokenness, but I believe, I'm very convicted personally of this, he wants us to hold him to his word. In other words, in this context, Jesus, you said, if I seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you promise 
that you will take care and provide of the details of the needs of my life. And so therefore, I seek to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And now I am waiting for you to answer. And I think God's like, bring it on. I think he's like, more people pray this way, please. More people hold up my word to me. Show me the promise again and see if I will not be faithful to it. I believe more of us, all of us, are being called in one way or another to pursue God in reverence, in humility, in brokenness. But we don't do that enough. I think God invites it over and over and over again. How bad do we want it and do we trust him for it? So notice then in verse 34, the conclusion of all this, therefore, right? Therefore, based on verse 33, if you believe verse 33, if you believe that God is not a liar, if you believe that Jesus Christ speaks truth, therefore, based on the truth of verse 33, based on the character of God, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Why? Because there's no point in being worried about that. God's like, I got you. I got you. You seek my kingdom. You seek my righteousness. I'll worry about tomorrow. Sounds like a good deal, Lord. He's like, yeah, it is. It is. You should do that. When's the last time we replaced our anxiety with adoration? Or our worry with worship? Or our stress with surrender? Or our fear with faith? Again, man. Powerful, powerful moment and powerful, powerful text. Let's bow our heads quietly right now. I love when we do this. And just as we pray right now, let's think of our priorities right now. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to us about priorities. What are our priorities? What's our number one priority? Is it the kingdom? What's our passion in life? What has our affection, our desires? What are we pursuing? Where are we seeking to go? Who are we seeking to be? What really motivates us? Is it his kingdom or is it something else? What promises are we relying on? Depending on? Maybe you today, like me, to say, Lord, I, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust you. Man, Father, if we, if we lived out, seek first the kingdom of God and, and your righteousness, how our lives would change, our families would change, our church would change, community would change, so much would change. So much of life is found here. Holy Spirit, help us, then help us. I, I pray there would be honesty and courage, repentance, but desire and longing for you. May it be so, Lord, may it be so. Even the song right now, I pray the song is used as a prayer. My help comes from the Lord. It's the Lord. So use this time. Bless this church so much. We need you so much. We just love these people so much. And just pray that we would sense your love for us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.